Hello and welcome. You're with the Cricket Tragics. My name is Josh and I'm joined by the cricketing professor, Mr. Alex Cameron, and fellow Cricket Tragic, Mr. Jack Ellis. Tonight we're going to wrap up the Ashes. Was it really the greatest Ashes of all time? Alex is going to take us through some key stats for the fifth test and we'll be getting into what we noticed in the cricketing week. So strap on your pads and follow us out into the middle. Straight off the top, was this the greatest Ashes series of all time? No, it's still 2005. Okay, um, you're going with 2005. I'm definitive about it. Um, I'm not sure yep. if it's just the sort of the memories I have of it because I remember it's 2005. I was living with my grandparents in uh, in Sydney, and um, I just come back from overseas. And every night, my grandfather and my and my grandmother would uh, get on the piss after dinner, and my grandmother would be in bed by 10. My grandfather would stay up till 12, and then I'd stay up and watch, keep watching afterwards, with a couple of herbal refreshments as well after he'd gone to bed. But there's a lot of memories there. And I think it was, I don't know, can't describe why I don't think this was as epic as that. I just think, I mean, it was a long time since England had won any test series, right? I think it had, was 1989 or something before. Ashes, Ashes series. Ashes series, yeah. 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 Not, yeah. not a test match, Ashes series. I don't know, this one didn't do it for me as much. It was obviously, yeah. I love watching cricket and I enjoyed it, but at times I just found it annoying. I don't know why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I'm with you. I think, well, why do we only talk about the superlatives when it's a test series in England? And through the Australian lens, what's the best Ashes series for me? Mate, once when we flogged them, 5-0, obviously. You know what I mean? (laughs) But I guess taking a step back from that, it was a thrilling series with regards to heaps of controversial moments. Unusual things happened. The ascendancy swung. There was heart-in-the-mouth stuff up until the final session with the fifth day of the fifth test. And so I think that's a measure of a, an entertaining series. Of course, I was super disappointed with how the fifth test ended. If I can add to my answer, I'm trying to get into my mind why it is that I don't think this is because I'm Look at the numbers. It obviously is a really great series and should be one of the best. I don't know why, but to be honest, I think that England were, in some sort of sense, they should have won. Yeah. Even the games we won, like Pat Cummins getting home, they should have won that game. It's hard to say this is an Australian, but they were the best team, I think, mm. by a distance. Mm. And I think that we got away with it there. Um, 100%. And I'm just going to throw it out there. I think if they pick Wood and Wokes, if they were able to from the start, England win 4-0. Yeah, they just weren't, they were, they just weren't fit. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. like Australia lost Nathan Lyon early. Exactly. That's the kind of argument, yes. Other than that, they pretty much had a full strength squad, whereas England had no Joffre Archer whatsoever, mm-hmm. who was clearly the best bowler in the 2019 Ashes. And then Wooden Works came in and they were just different class. Like they were borderline unplayable at different times. And Australia didn't really have a bowler like that throughout the series. Mitch Stark had a very, very good series and yeah. proved a lot of people wrong after being dropped the first test. But yeah, England, I think, were clearly the best team. And it would have been pretty funny if they hadn't changed the ball, Australia would have won. And then yeah. 3 1. 3 1. To the worst of the two teams. But I definitely think it's up there in the discussion of greatest series ever. It'll be 1981, I think it was, when oh, Ian Botham's yep. Ashes, 2005, and then this one. Yeah. I think a big thing against this one that 2005 had was this last test was a dead rubber. As much as the England, English were desperate to win so they could draw the series and then they could make the argument a lot more easily that they were the moral victors or, as we said, they were the better side, absolutely. Whereas in 2005, they had a lead, but they knew if Australia won, they wouldn't get to regain the ashes for the first time in a long time. And it went down to Shane Warne dropping Kevin Peterson when he was on five or something. And if he took that catch, Australia probably wins. 
draws the series 2-2 and no one really talks about it. Can I just say that Jack is really flexing his muscle as a cricket tragic. Not only is he uh, referring to the results of the 2005 Ashes, he's referring to specific match-turning events Yeah, straight off the top of his head from 17 years ago. (laughs) Well, I had the DVD of the series as as a teenager. I had the highlights of all the tests. You know that's not a counter-argument, right? Like, you know that saying that you've got the DVD just puts you at an even higher level of cricket tragicness. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was making. It's not a criticism. You're in good company. Um, but I didn't get to watch it at the time because 2005, I was nine and my parents made me go to bed before eight, which was the start time with the time difference. And I only got to stay up for one day. And that was when Shane Warne was 70 something not out overnight. And I've been begging my dad all day that I would stay up and watch Shane Warne finally make a test match hundred. And he got 90 something again. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny about that is that when he was nine, he didn't know that Shane Warne hadn't scored a test match hundred yet. I- I wouldn't have known that. <laughs> he always brought it up. Every time he batted, it's like the Lord's slope. Anytime there's a test at Lord's, the commentator's every second sentence, the slope, the slope, the slope, the slope. And it's just like, shut up. I'm talking about something else. <laughs> yeah. Well, because I'm a little bit older, I want to throw in another Ashes series that I was very young when it happened. I think it was the 1989 mm. Ashes where Australia toured there, and Australia won in England there for the first the, time. In, in was this, time. this the series where Australia was referred to as the worst Australian team to go to England? That's yes. the one. Alan Border-led team, I think. I think Terry Alderman was in that team, an exceptional bowler. Who else? So I think David Boone, who you mentioned yeah. earlier, would, would have been on that tour. A young Steve Waugh was on that tour, making a name for himself. Um, yeah. Mervyn, of course, was mm. there. Yeah, I think I've I've heard about this one because uh, that's when it began, isn't it? That's when the, the England didn't win an Ashes series after that until 2005. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is why AB is considered one, you know, fathers of modern Australian cricket because he famously on that tour said, the boys are all going to travel together, no wives, no one's allowed to have beers with the opposition. All of these things happened in the oh. 1989 series. Well, he's famous New South Welshman, so... From Mossman in Sydney, you know, we are. Well, you know, all of the, uh, all the greatest New South Welshmen actually come to Queensland and play. So we, you know, we had AB and LZ as well, you know, and, and their cricket goes to another level when they um when they cross the Tweed. I mean, I appreciate that, man. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know you're really talking about somebody else there, but um, <laughs> but yeah. So what have we said here? I think Jack's saying 2005 was better. I think the recency bias towards the most recent one. It was a phenomenal series. And to get a proper answer, it'll have to come back in a year or something. But mm, I would put it yeah. absolutely in the same tier as 2005. I really can't split them, but I think maybe that's because I watched the highlights of 2005 so many times. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a troubling narrative in the way cricket narratives go, because normally it's the team who is worse trying to overcome the team who is better. Yeah. And Australia is was the worst team, and they did overcome the team that w- was better by getting to a draw. But Australia held the Ashes, so mm. it's not like we we came from a place below and then managed oh, to all, snake the Ashes away. It's got this climax written all over it everywhere. I would actually yeah. say that if if Australia won the fifth test and went three one up, then you'd have probably had more of an argument to say we've just seen one of the best Ashes series yeah, ever because true. England was so dominant and for, for so many long periods of the series, but then for the result to be weighted in the opposite direction so far. And yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm still upset. <laughs> but, 
factor. I, I am <laughs> I a bit. I wanted that's that three-one result. Yeah. <laughs> when they changed that ball, I was properly furious. Like I know how the English felt with the bear so instant. I yeah. feel the same way towards that ball change because I do not understand how Joel Wilson is an international umpire, and he proved me right again during this test. <laughs> Like getting about five decisions overturned for absolute howlers. And even though he didn't select the ball, Kuma and Damasina, like they both did it, but Kuma, Damasina did. Yeah. I still blame Joel Wilson. I think this is, um, this is a, a new level of cricket tragicness because, because I, I don't even associate. I feel embarrassed. I, I, I wouldn't have been able to articulate the names of the umpires so well. It's not so much that I can't articulate the names. It's just that I don't have any sort of uh, preconception about an umpire that's good or bad. Yeah, no, me neither. He's just there, okay? He's just there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you. I'm too busy focused on my frustrations with Australians' middle order and top order and lower order batting. Well, do you want and the field settings? <laughs> and the field settings. Oh, this Ashes series is definitely the most stressful one we've had <laughs> for a long time. Well, I think the big difference between 2005 and the one just finished, and maybe Alex's different level of enjoyment, is the social media aspect mm-hmm. of the most recent one. So everything that happens gets immediately dissected on Twitter within five minutes, and then you have 800,000 people yeah. putting their opinion out there. Yeah. Whereas in 2005, if the commentary team and the people you know, at the ground didn't notice something happened, they'd probably never talk about it ever again. Mate, 100%. I mean, Pierce Morgan was drifting into irrelevance. <laughs> and, yeah. and he is back with a vengeance. I was just looking at all these tweets going, this bloke doesn't care about it that much. This is opportunistic. He's getting oh, he, his name back out. He just wants attention. Yeah. yeah. 100%. He thrives on hypocrisy. His whole career is built on it. So, And now we're talking about him. Okay, let's move on. Exactly. Would you like to hear some stats from the, from the Ashes? Yes, we'd love to hear some stats. I think because this is becoming a fairly regular thing, I need to have a jingle at the beginning of like yeah. stats corner, you know, like. And then it needs to be like the NBA coverage where it's like proudly sponsored by no one. Yeah, maybe. Oh, no, maybe my. <laughs> I think my mum and dad are probably sponsoring me. They're really proud of me. So, um, yeah, right. It's funnier when it's sponsored by no one when they lose a sponsor halfway yeah. through the season. Okay, so the way the first bit of this is going to work is I'm going to give you a number. Maybe with a with a something on the end of it. I want you to tell me what that number is, okay? Five wickets. The first thing I'm giving you. What could that set be? Oh well, I'm thinking Chris Wokes straight away because I feel like he's had at least one five wicket haul in the Ashes, maybe two. Okay, well maybe that that could be one. That's not the one I'm referring to. There's okay. another five wicket stat I think that's more interesting, but wasn't really talked about so much. And it's not saying that somebody got it in a particular game. Well, if it's across the whole series, is it England took five wickets more than Australia did across the five tests? Or am I thinking too big picture? The actual stat that I want to give to you now, five wickets is, that's the total amount of wickets that James Anderson got over the whole series. Oh, Jimmy. Yeah. Well, the other interesting stat, sorry to steal your thunder, was the fifth test was the first Ashes test Jimmy Anderson had played in that England had won since 2015. He didn't play in the third test and he didn't play in any of the wins in 2019. It's a remarkable stat. England haven't won in Australia since 2011, I think. It's 
it's a remarkable stat because a couple of podcasts ago, I brought up in the cricketing week something about Jimmy Anderson, and he hasn't had much involvement in the first couple of tests. Conditions didn't favour him. They weren't bowling him very much. And, and I made the point that he's one of England's longest serving bowlers. He is the 14th most capped player from either country since the inception of the Ashes. And so when you bring up that stat, it's amazing that he's got so many caps. Well, and another graphic I saw was the people who've debuted and retired since Jimmy Anderson debuted in 2003. Right, yeah. And there's so many people, <laughs> like Stuart Broad was one of them who's now retired and he played 160 something tests. Yeah, like 15 years yeah. of cricket. And he debuted, I think, five years after Jimmy Anderson debuted. It's just unbelievable for a fast bowler. It's unbelievable for any cricketer. Fast bowling in particular is just... And then at the end of this test, he said he had no plans of retiring. (laughs) He's having a laugh at this point, surely. I think he really wants to go to India. Um, The other thing that I'll just put in there is that Stuart Broad has many more Ashes wickets than Jimmy Anderson does. I don't don't have the figures in front of me, but Jimmy Anderson hasn't been that successful down under. He's done well in India. I have... Vivid memories of Stuart Rod running through Australia. I have no memories whatsoever of Jimmy Anderson ever yeah. dismantling the top order of Australia. Josh has given me this homework to look at home and away results for players. I'm I feel like Jimmy Anderson's going to be significantly more potent at home than he is away. But most players are anyway. I think Stuart Broad will be even more, and Chris Wokes is unbelievable. He averages 20 in England and 50 overseas, hopeless overseas. Doesn't Wokes have a particular field? Is it Headingley or Lords, where Wokes has an outrageous average? Well, another um, one to check for the cricket professor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, in- interestingly, though, Jimmy Anderson, despite only getting four wickets, I think he has the lowest or the second lowest economy rate. So he didn't bowl badly. He just didn't really threaten too much. He got five wickets from about 154 overs, which is the same amount of wickets as Josh Tung, who played one game, and wow. Cameron Green, who played three. Well, is it not a sign of the times, right? Baseball is here, like the days of England just preparing green seamers doctored specifically for a Jimmy Anderson type bowler. And then now they're doctored specifically for, um, yeah, for the rest like, of the batting order. Exactly. That's, that's right. Yeah. It's, it's a huge shift in, in English cricket. Yeah. You, you can't know. play cover drives on the up on a green seamer. I made a point before the beginning of the Ashes that I didn't know why Mo and Ali was getting selected because he averages. <laughs> 28 with the bat and 37 with the ball. So during this series, he averaged 25 with the bat and 51 with the ball. I know all decisions, as you said, look good in hindsight, but did he really contribute to them winning, really? (laughs) He got a batting average lower than what his overall batting average is. His bowling average was higher than what it normally is. But there there is another dimension to this. It's like, yes, you can have ordinary stats, but if you chipped in at critical times, if you executed match-turning deeds, that can also count. Well, I just love how everyone was praising him for batting three, so Harry Brook could go back to bat five, even though he made very few runs at number three. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, put Jimmy Anderson at three and they'd get the same price. Yeah, I see your point, Josh, that perhaps there's more to think about than just... Um... Well, all I'd say is who would they pick instead of him? And again, you brought that up. It was a kind of indictment on English cricket that they had to get a guy out of retirement. But it's not like he was keeping out someone kicking the door down. Well, I mean, mm. I don't know enough about English cricket, but I do know that they had that off-spinner who played in Sri Lanka for them and in India. Dom Bess. Or... Dom Bess, I mean. Dom Ollie. Bess and Dan Lawrence are the other two options, I think. Yeah, but Dom Bess is is, an, is a, an off-spinner who bats a little bit, right? And he's got a fire for in Sri Lanka and India, I think. 
I just think if you think about the future, that could have been big. But the other big stat that I think is really important in the result, or at least in England being the better team, is these two numbers. See if you can guess what they are. 37.3 versus 110.57. Oh, 110.57 is that uh, Cam Green's bowling average. There's strike rates of batters? No. Nice. It's actually comparing a st- one stat from 2019 versus one stat from 2023. Is 33 the total amount of overs bowled in the test? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's Steve Smith's batting average. All right. Yeah. So he, he averaged 110.57 in 2019 and 37.3 this series. So, I mean, yeah. if he's not scoring runs, how are we going to win? Along with Marnus Labashane, I haven't got his average. Oh, yeah. Marnus, I felt like had. Well, I don't and, know. And he Travis had. Yeah, Trav didn't have a huge no, season. Australia had the top three ranked batters in the world, according to the ICC rankings. Not that that counts for much. But coming into the series, Australia had the best bowler in the world in Pat Cummins and the best three batters. And Usman Khawaja, who is probably the most informed batter. Yeah. And the fact that Australia luckily escaped with a two-all draw. Props That's to England for that. Yeah, true. The other thing I, want, I, won't, I won't quiz you on this one, but uh, you know, we talked about the idea that Australia needed to rest their bowlers and sort of sub them around a bit. Mm. Well, in, in the end of the day, England actually bowled many, many more overs. Like England bowled 902 or so overs and Australia bowled about 650, 660 overs, right? Mm. The interesting stat, though, is that Pat Cummins bowled almost 25% of Australia's overs, mm. uh, whereas for England, the highest amount was uh, Stuart Broad, who bowled just over 20. Stuart Broad actually bowled more overs than Pat Cummins. Mm. But you can see that for Australia, after well, – go ahead. Australia got belted quite a bit, right? So that's part of it. Interesting part of the recap about the fifth test is that England scored almost 300 of 54 overs in the first innings. And Australia was into bat on day one in the fifth test. And that's why, you know, England bowled sounds like 50% more overs than Australia because their batters weren't occupying the crease. They were just... They were scoring runs. There was some commentary which I thought was interesting when they were saying, well, actually, this may play into Australia's hands a little bit uh, because the English bowlers will be more tired. And I guess this is the baseball versus traditional test cricket argument is that, okay, batting slow is not just about your survival. It's about taking fuel out of the tank of the opposition. I mean, I know I'm stating the obvious here, but it doesn't get talked about much. Well, I mean, Nathan Lyon normally bowls the most in any series Australia plays anywhere in the world. Nathan Lyon will bowl the most overs and not being there. Wasn't it so telling how key Nathan Lyon is to the Australian team? And it's probably not a coincidence that when he went down with a leg injury, all of a sudden we were getting our pants kicked. Well, my biggest frustration throughout the whole series wasn't the field setting of Cummins. It was not trusting Todd Murphy. Like, Todd Murphy is a fantastic bowler yeah, like yeah. he's not nathan lyon yeah. but he's a bloody good replacement and australia hasn't had spin bowling depth like this in a long time yeah. and then they picked him for the third test second test and he barely bowled so then they played two all-rounders it was a bit of a disaster so they brought him back and he got to bowl a bit more no it was the other way around yeah, so he, he didn't play the third test and he played the fourth and the fifth didn't he yeah i'm not 100 yeah. percent on that but okay. I told myself I wasn't going to have a swipe at Pat Cummins in this podcast. I'm just going to say one little thing. Jax's point is a good segue. I noticed that after the fourth test in the press conference, and they came from the British press, 
They're saying, what was going through your mind when Ben Stokes was hitting the team to all parts? And Pat's response was related more to his own bowling. He was like, oh, I felt like the ball was coming out of my head, right? Like I was just a little bit wayward with my plans. But the, it, that wasn't the question. The question was, what was the team doing tactically to stem the tide of the runs? I think sometimes when I think about Pat being captain, it's like, well, he is a phenomenal bowler, the best bowler that we've got. But I much prefer that responsibility to not be on his shoulders and for him to just be spearheading the attack and having someone else thinking about the tactical side of where the team is going. And like you say, you know, there's a, there were some odd things about bowler rotation. If I was going to join your two points and say, well, Nathan Lyon actually doesn't have, if you look at like the list of the top 10 bowlers in terms of, in terms of test wickets in the world or the top 20, 30, he's getting, I think he's in the top 10 now, right? But his average is so much higher than everyone else because he's an off spinner who bowls in Australia, right? Yeah. But you rely on him so much for, to bowl a lot of overs, right? And I think that they should have tried to make Murphy do that. They should have brought him in early and got him used to that role, but they didn't. They were tentative about it and they just didn't have enough faith in him. Like I'm looking at the stats now. The third highest average, or sorry, the third best average is Todd Murphy. Mm, I was going to say, that was the big frustration for me. The last test, they trusted him and he bowled fantastically and he got four for and three for, you know, he he was Australia's best bowler apart from Stark and he might have got hit a bit, but that's what spinners do sometimes. Yeah. And England was hitting everyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's an interesting point you made last time when we caught up and chatted, we were saying, oh, you know, normally Australia takes Nathan Lyon everywhere regardless of conditions. Mm-hmm. And there's always this conversation about do you play a spinner? Do the conditions suit a spinner? But it's not just potential to take wickets in the fourth innings. It's not the only reason you have a spinner in your team. It's going to speed up your overrate. It's going to give you quicks of rest. It's variety that makes the batters change their mindset. This was the thing when Ben Stokes was hitting them to all parts and we persisted with pace on bowling. The main frustration for me was like, you've just got to create some variety so that he can't just keep teeing off. He's just hitting through the same line over and over. I couldn't believe how long it took Australia to change their plans and they just bowled wide outside off to Ben Stokes when he didn't trust his partner at the other end and wasn't hitting singles, wasn't taking singles. I couldn't believe they just didn't bowl super wide outside off, make him hit everything across the line. And they did that for a little bit, dried him up and got him out. And it took till he was on 150. Yeah. In C grade, if we had Ben Stokes playing, <laughs> I'd have changed. We'd all just put yeah. our feet up and watch, man. That's yeah. what we're <laughs> But this is my thing bad. about Pat. Like, I just much prefer him to be the spearhead bowler and, and have someone else using that, him. That was the rumor, was Steve Smith is the on-field captain. Yeah. All I'd say is who would be captain instead of Pat. <laughs> Some of the uh, the cricketing uh, information jackets, I think it has a bit of a 4chan quality to it. It's like, oh, on the field, I heard this, like Steve Smith's really the captain. But I, 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 a nickname has come to, to mind for Jack now. He's, it's going to be something that has the whisper in it, you know? like <laughs> <laughs> Just before we go into the cricketing week, a stat that will make sense to everyone is that England hit 1,007 singles, Australia hit 763. That's the biggest gap if you look at all of the scoring shots. And that's what, you know, you were saying, these very, very defensive fields that just allowed them to get off the mark, didn't put a lot of pressure on any of the batsmen and made getting to 10 or 20 pretty easy. Well, let's do the cricketing week. Do you want to go on? I'll go. Mine's very short. You know, I always thought that Tim Payne is the forgotten cricketer of Australia's recent past. He just, he went, he went out and then nobody really talked about him again. He was involved in sort of an extramarital affair and I don't want to put, you know, any sort of moral judgment on anyone or whatever, but it just seems amazing that he captained Australia in such a hard time and then he's gone. 
and nobody talks about him. He played one more Shield game and then he retired essentially. Yeah. But news this week is that he, him and Adam Verges are now going to be coaching the Australian A team, which I think is really good, really good news for him. Really? Yeah. I think they're doing a tour of New Zealand soon. Yeah, and so he's part of the coaching staff. And I thought that's a really good, that's, it was very happy to hear that. I was. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that as well. And him getting brought back into the fold, I think, is good because in the scheme of Australian cricketing scandals, what he did was very minor. Like, not that I'm excusing it, neither am I casting judgment on it. I just think Shane Warne did that about 800 times uh, across his career. <laughs> mm. I, I always think about him just because when you, when he was batting well, he there were a few people who looked better than him. I know he didn't he didn't get many big scores, but he just looked so good when he was batting. He did have yeah. a textbook technique. Yeah. Um, His Barbara's arm style was great yeah. to watch. All I remember is him getting injured in that stupid Johnny Walker game at the Gabba where Sean Tate broke his hand and he was going to play for Australia and basically ruined his career for about five or six years. That's right. That's why he was out for so long. Yeah. He yeah. His- Do you remember that game that they used to have where Shane Warne and Glenn McGraw were playing and they were mic'd up and yeah, Glenn McGraw was like, I'm going to nick him off this ball and he nicked him off this ball and yeah, yeah such a sh- stupid game <laughs> <laughs> um, cricket generally you refer to <laughs> yeah <laughs> only the english could invent a sport this stupid indeed what about you jack your cricketing week um, item well circling back to my point about burnout I have watching fatigue i had playing fatigue from playing saturday sunday and training all the time and just I cannot believe the amount of cricket. It's like they're making up for lost time. During COVID, no one got to play anything. So they're scramming as many tournaments in as possible. And, you know, Tim David on Sunday was part of the Major League Cricket Grand Final, which the New York team won. So he won that. And then two days later, he's playing in the first game of the 100. And I just staggered by, do these guys even get to get in the nets or do they just work on their game in the middle like surely some of them are going to get burnt out well i did see grinda sando in the nets the other day at south and i said oh so when do you start training for the bbl you know when are you gonna get on thunder he goes we don't train we just turn up (laughs) 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 that's the standard alpha response it would be impossible like you know major league cricket would be really excited to get a player the caliber of tim david Mm. among many, many others, and he just rocks up the day of the game, probably has headphones on, doesn't interact with anyone. You don't have to get your eye in because you've been playing for like exactly every a game every you know, two games a week for the last two years or something. So what about you, mate? Okay, for the cricketing week, I noticed that Kane Williamson is back in the nets. He hurt himself in the IPL and had, I think he did his ACL. It was a knee injury. It looked he, really bad at the time. I was watching it live. Yeah, he was assisted from the field when it happened. But yeah, I think it's Instagram post yesterday as a reel of him back in the net saying that he's feeling good. And so there's speculation about him being ready for the World Cup. This is my little, um, been on a little bit of a injury watch lately. We talked about Richard Pant last week and now Kane Williamson about, now. What about, um? I think Jasper Boomer is also back to bowling close to full is he? To full pelt. So It's in India, the host nation. They're going to have Richard Pant back, Jasper Boomer. I, I think, don't think Pant's coming back. I don't think they're that You don't ambitious. reckon he's going to be back? Yeah, no, um, that would be a proper miracle. <laughs> but Jasper Boomer's good enough. That's a huge – it's a totally different team with and without him. That He's the best white ball bowler in the world. Him and Jofra Archer. If Jofra Archer's playing for England and if Jasper Boomer's playing for India – I think mm. they're clearly the two best teams. The position that 
Rishabhan would play. They have a lot of people awesome. that could play. Like there's K.O. Rahul, Ishan Kishan. <laughs> as much as they're going to miss him, I don't think they're going to miss him that much. And again, you'll have to check this. You won't have the stats, but I don't think he has that good a white ball record. Yeah, Test cricket is where he's really shown his, his best game so far. I think he does well, well in the IPL and stuff like that, but um, I'm not sure about internationally with uh, ODIs and T20Is. Going back to Kane Williamson, I think it's amazing what an incentive does, like having that carrot of yeah. getting back, playing a farewell World Cup. Yeah. Are New Zealand a chance, do you reckon? They always are. Every World yeah. Cup. Well, they've made so many semifinals, and then the last two mm. editions they've made the final and lost. Yeah. Um, they made the final of the T20 World Cup a couple of years ago with what I didn't think was a very good squad. Like, they just always play so well. Is Australia a chance? Yeah, we're a chance as well. Like, Mate, I'm traumatised by the Ashes. I can't even answer about Australian results. <laughs> well, basically, there's five teams that can make the four semifinal spots. Australia, New Zealand, England, India, Pakistan. If any other team makes it, I'll be massively surprised. We have to take some good spinners over there. Obviously, we're going to be taking... Um, Zamps. Of course. Oh, yeah. Zamps Zamp. and Ashton Agar. Well, be. that's the thing. Are, you, are we going to take Ashton Agar? I mean, he was he was over there for the India series and he went home because he wasn't bowling very well. Well, that's test cricket. He's a very handy white ball cricketer. He's not a handy red ball cricketer. He has worse stats than Moen Ali in red ball cricket. So, yeah, I think the last tour to India for one-day series, he was pretty handy. And Glenn Maxwell, when he retires Australia, is stuffed in terms of spinners that can bat. <laughs> Maxi. Actually, I reckon, you know, we were talking about favourite players earlier. He's my favourite player. Current player. Close to mine too. Yeah, yeah. and me. And me. Love Maxi. So we, do we all sort of feel that he's was robbed of a test place? Mm-hmm. He should have been oh, playing I, test cricket for the last. Oh. He should have played a hundred tests. Yes, and Usman Khawaja. Him and Usman. Oh, oh, it's Usman has always been in the best six batters in Australia ever since his debut. And Glenn Maxwell. Mate. I think this is the extra element that makes me so upset when Australia loses, right? Because I think, yes, got some great players, but you know, where was Uzi? Where was Maxi? Like, mm. you know, the, all it could have been for Australia. And if we're not winning, yeah. those two careers have been bungled so much in the Test arena. I have trouble getting past it. <laughs> where, was, where was Michael Klinger? How did Michael Klinger never play a Test? Yes. And where's Michael Nisa? Where well, has he been? Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, when you mentioned before, England didn't have anyone banging down the doors for spinners. Did Australia have players banging down the door? We had heaps of players banging down the door. Nessa, no opportunity. Cam Bancroft since 2018, forgotten. And he's gone past, he's older than 30 now, but he has got the most amount of runs in the Sheffield Shield in the most recent season. And he's in the county championship, hitting thousands of runs. Last two Sheffield Shield series, I think he was one or two yeah. runs were for both series as the opener. Pete Hanscom was up there as well, and he didn't get a look in. Because they keep talking about rewarding uh, domestic performances, but they don't do yeah. it as often as they, you know, Chad Sayers got 50 wickets in the shield and didn't get a game. Uh, yeah. Was it Peter Griffin on Family Guy who had that segment on the radio? You know what really grinds my gears? Yes. This is this is where I want this content from me. I want to, <laughs> you know what really grinds my gears? If we where's were the Nessa? selection. Where's Bancroft? Yeah. If we were the selection committee, Australia exactly. would have won five nil. Yeah. Where's Maxi? Where's Kawaja? Anyway. Well, Kawaja was... Finally. Well, see, he he's, in my view, he's the man who should have captained Australia for the last five, six years. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think about when, when Osman Kawaja moved to Queensland, and I, I always bring this up, he 
Captain Queensland to a shield win almost immediately. Yeah. Like the bloke has captaincy chops. It's not like, yeah, just because he's a more senior player and we go and have anyone else. No, actually, Usman Kawaja is an excellent captain. And I would also argue that we've talked about him a few times through the Ashes series. He's the guy demonstrating leadership. He's the one who went straight to the umpires to complain about the ball being changed. He's the one who's gone to the ICC to um, put forward Australia's case for not losing World Test Championship points for slow over rates. He is the guy who is willing to stand up and be like, no, I'll represent the team. There's an issue. I will have something to say. He's well-spoken, represents himself well. You know, I, I saw a tweet from him yesterday, I think, congratulating the England boys on a great series. Like, he is the package, mm. right? He's prepared to square up to Lord's members in the long <laughs> run. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to know what that's all about unless you hear what the words were said. For something, for someone as cool as him to whip back and try and make someone accountable for what they said, I really want to know what they actually said. Oh, I would and love to know, yeah. I'm yeah. hoping the autobiography, when he retires, they won't mention anything about the ball tampering or, you know, controversial stuff. But hopefully he can just say, I heard someone say this, which is why I did this. Because yeah. he's the most calm, level-headed guy in the whole team. Yeah. And he was he was looking like Alex Cameron against Albany Creek. <laughs> That's right. Someone probably said something uh, negative about Brisbane. That's what it probably was. You know? Yeah, like, well, like, see, he's the guy I want going into bat for us, you know, like when this is somebody know. like this is Brisbane or Queensland, <laughs> I'd start twitching. I don't like it. So you don't like KP then either, right? Because KP doesn't like it. <laughs> oh, Kevin Peterson, he hates Brisbane, right? He hates oh, it he, so much. Forget KP. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, I think all touring cricketers hate Brisbane, other than that Indian C squad that somehow won at the Gabba. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, that's um, right. Oh, well, it's their loss. All right, boys. Good effort. Yeah. Jack, thanks for coming on and chatting with us tonight. I really enjoyed it. Have a good one. Yeah, have a great week. We'll chat to you later. Bye.